Welcome to this week's episode of e- of This Week in Sports with Eric and Jordan. Uh, thank you for bearing with us as we took a little week off, but uh, we're back. A couple weeks of review to go through. Jordan, let's uh, kick us off. Hey guys, so yeah, we kind of wanted to start, I think, with a story that is less, I think, more about sports and just as a general, but Eric, the uh, there's lots of playoffs going on right now, and we're going to touch on them. And the first one, I think, is hockey, our, our, our favorite sport. <laughs> and more importantly, how, you know, it's – the hockey is doing full capacity at all of the arenas, as far as I know. I don't know if there's anybody they're, doing they're, – They're near capacity. They're still the, yeah. still the covered areas and stuff. But, yeah, it's been uh, – I mean, last year, obviously, with the bubble in both NBA and, uh, to an extent – MLB and NHL having seen having watched those playoffs and watched this year's playoffs has been a complete 360 from what it was well and you, you know Eric the energy the energy's there yeah, even just on a smaller personal scale dude like this was the first time this week in over a year that I I worked at work without wearing a mask you know, and I'm not going to get into the politics and all that of it, but just not having to wear a mask to go to work felt oddly. It was a little weird at first, but then it was like, oh, this is what being normal feels like. And for hockey man to not have fans in those arenas going crazy, beating on the glass, it was weird. Yeah. And, you know. It was. Um, I mean, it's kind of cool to you get a, you kind of get a, there's more glorified. This is a glorified preseason um, or glorified inner squad scrimmaging <laughs> um, with a, without fans. But yeah, I mean, it, it's just the energy of the playoffs that you can feel again. Um, I watched a little bit of the NBA. I, I'm not a big NBA guy, but. I mean, it's just different now with fans. It's great. Um, having that year with no fans compared to this year, it's like I said, it's a 360 energy-wise. And players feed off that. And you just you don't realize how much energy the crowd brings to the game and how it transitions to the players until you think about what happened last year to what we're seeing now. Well, if you've never been, so for me, I don't – care for watching hockey on tv just personally um i'm not really the biggest fan of sport i mean i obviously love it and appreciate it but i wouldn't say i'm a necessarily a fan and watching it on tv to me just like camera bangles back and forth it kind of gives me a headache um but to go to it in person i think is such a different experience man you know when we met we were going to you know games in charlotte you know seeing the minor league checkers and how crazy that arena was you know and then if you've ever been to like an actual nhl game man it's it's an experience to go in person and i can't imagine how weird it was to go from like a raucous you know crowd you know where people throw squids on the ice <laughs> and stuff like that to complete whatever one of those under ocean things and you know, to go to that, to be completely silent, you know, even like the sounding of the buzzer and fans. Yeah. You know, I'll watch a little bit of the hockey playoffs whenever I get a chance to, I think I'm more interested in 
the NBA this year, shockingly enough, and I think I am hockey, but for my own personal reasons. Yeah, the the NHL I'm in having just moved uh just moved up to the Raleigh area. Um hurricanes are in the playoffs and I've yet to go to a game at PNC Arena, even my years in Charlotte when the Wings came into town, but now that I'm closer next season, I'll definitely check out when the Wings are in town. But from what I hear, the environment at PNC Arena um, with the with the Hurricanes fans is unreal. Oh, dude, the storm surge. Um, I've never seen it in person, and, but just videos of it. Oh, my this God. Year, this year, because um, the Hurricanes were the first playoff game this year, and they were the first ones with fans. Not full capacity, but 12,000 fans. It... I watched the video of the introduction. It sounded like it was full capacity and I missed that. And it's just, it's great. Um, great that things are returning to normal. Great that fans are in stands again. I mean, I'm watching the PGA at Kiowa. Great to see a crowd at that, at golf tournaments. Now it's, we're getting there. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's go to the NBA. Uh, a little resurgence in New York. Man, the Knicks don't suck. <laughs> it's been, yeah. Um, okay, so here's my thing with the Knicks. Every bit of the credit, and I mean like an overwhelming majority, has to go to one person. And I'm going to give it to Tom Thibodeau. Oh. Because I was never really a big fan of his necessarily. I know he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way when he was with Chicago. Um, but I don't know how much he had to do with the construction of this team. But he, he's made Julius Randle, a guy that always had a ton of talent coming out of Kentucky, but you never really felt like he was just missing something. And whatever the hell it was he was missing, man, he found it. Um, that guy is awesome to watch. And then you get guys like, you know, R.J. Barrett, who being a Carolina guy, I never really rooted for him. Obviously, he played at Duke. But just as an overall player, I thought he was kind of overrated. I was wrong. <laughs> He's very good. And you get guys like, you know, Mitchell Robinson that are just these good depth guys. And the other real big player, too, to me is Derrick Rose, bro. Um, he played, played well with Thibodeau. Yeah. And – he's coming off the bench and he's really, I think that's what his role needs to be. You know, I think he could really be like a Jamal Crawford for the next five to six years now, you know, where he doesn't have to play 40 minutes a game. He can come in and give you a good 20 to 25 and he'll score 20 damn points in that time. He's in there. The dude can still ball. Um, but yeah, man, I'm excited for the next. I don't expect them to go super far because I, you know, typical NBA, it's incredibly top-heavy, especially in the East. Um, but, yeah, man, the, the Knicks are looking good. I wrote down a bunch of other storylines, too, because it's actually kind of interesting. I know you gave credit to Thibodeau, and he has done a great job there. The real credit to me has to go to Leon Rose. Uh, I Bringing in those guys, um, trading for Derrick Rose from the Pistons, bringing in Julius Randle, I mean, bringing in those types of guys, and it balanced the team out. And it, it made me forget that Frank uh, Nelikanya is a complete bust. 
but they've even made him like a good, you know, I, I feel like the players that they have are fulfilling the roles they were, should have had in the NBA. Yes. So, but yeah, for, for sure. I don't want to discredit the GM or anything like that. I just don't want to, I just don't want James Dolan to get any credit. Right. Like that's the only downside of the Knicks being successful is like, shit. Now James Dolan's going to think he's doing something right. And I don't ever want that to be the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is interesting there. Um, one of the other storylines too, I think to watch is the seven seed Lakers being favored over the two seed Suns. And yes, if AD and LeBron are healthy or were healthy, there's no way the Lakers were going to be in that playing game anyway. And there's a whole nother LeBron storyline going on right now that has generated a ton of controversy. Um, going to a tequila event that he's an investor in and dodging questions if he's vaccinated or tested negative and Charles Bark and breaking protocol, which has led people think that le- and the league's not suspending him or making him do attend 14 day quarantine, which has a lot of people talking um, that maybe because he violated protocol, he should sit out. Um, but there's, there's just too much to go into right now with that. Charles Barkley, not afraid. So, of- here's my issue with LeBron. LeBron was the kid from Cleveland on a terrible team. And he put those teams on his back in a square. And then he left. And he was the world's biggest enemy for a long time. And then he came back and won. He did the unthinkable and won the Cavaliers a championship. And even when he went to L.A., people were like, okay, cool. You know, we get it. You know, like, not happy about it. But hi, Chris. Um, you know, Anybody that's a real Cleveland fan will tell you Dan Gilbert's the most undeserving piece of crap in the NBA, shy of James Dolan. And so uh, Cleveland got their championship. Cleveland fans are okay with him sucking just because they don't want Dan Gilbert to feel any success. But then LeBron in the last year for me has turned from like just this awful player. He's just, I don't know. He's such an arrogant prick to me. Like, I'm sorry. Like he's the most unlikable person in the NBA. I would rather have lunch with Draymond Green than I would with LeBron James at this point. And, ah, man, I'm rooting so hard against the damn Lakers this year just because I don't I don't like him. I love Anthony Davis, but, you know, Le- LeBron, he just doesn't do – he seems to want to do the things that people think are going to like him for. But in actuality, he's the total villain, and rather than embracing it like somebody like the, the Pistons did – or, you know, like Dennis Robin on the Bulls. LeBron thinks he's the hero, even though he's the villain. But that's just my take on LeBron. Sorry. I just – I can't stand that freaking dude. No, I mean, I've actually texted Dave this, uh, guest of the show, uh, friend of the show. He um, – I texted – really, as you said, it's kind of the past year. It's like really the past couple of years. Um, really since the comments he made about China – being really hypocritical about what's going on there compared to what's going on in the States right now. That's when I started to really be like, what's this guy doing? And then obviously the whole, your next scandal, not facing any consequences for that. I mean, that there's, and one of the other thoughts I had too, and with LeBron is he's, 
promoting himself as an all-time great, which he is. I mean, we're not, no one's ever going to doubt that. But, and I guess, I mean, yeah, Muhammad Ali was arrogant with the greatest, all that, and he backed it up. But Kobe, MJ, arrogant, yes, but did they ever really go into talking about how great they were? Like LeBron does? And I think that's what people are starting to realize. Yeah, he believes his own legend. You know, you never had to tell MJ how great he was. You never had to tell Kobe. You never had to tell, you know, Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar how great they were. They already knew it. They knew when they took my court with you, like, I'm going to beat you. Like, there wasn't even a question about it. And then with LeBron, he seems to want to tell everybody how great he is. You know, how, I don't know. I just, yeah, he's a character of what he used to be. You know, and he, like I said, when he left the Cavs the second time, they weren't really mad at him up there for it. And people up there now don't like him because he's just kind of a prick. <laughs> but, sorry, I'll get off on the LeBron soapbox. Hey, really quick, too, the player I'm rooting for in this playoffs is my dude out of Dallas, Luka. I don't think they're going to go very far. But I, I want him to really show his talent. So, it – of all the teams in the playoffs, I, I'm rooting for the Mavs. I'm sorry. Yeah, I like it. Um, and like I said, I mean, Phoenix is not favored as a two seed over the Lakers. From your neck of the woods, I really do want CP3 to get a ring eventually in his career. The guy has done so much to the game and has mixed the new school style with the old school point guard. Every, he's made every team he's on better. And he just hasn't been on teams that have been able to get him that ring. I mean, you had Lob City with Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and, and him uh, with the Clippers. But nothing with the team in the playoffs just can't – his teams in the playoffs can't seal the deal. Um, and I really do want CP3 to get a ring. Um, I love Devin Booker. DeAndre Aiden's finally emerging. Phoenix is a good team to watch. Obviously, Denver can threaten them. Um, Denver is no joke. Utah. At, well. um, oh, yeah. The, dude, Donovan Mitchell. Is, there's two or three teams I see coming out of the, the West this year. And I can that can be like, okay, yeah, I can see it. Um, Utah's one of them. Denver's another. And I do think Phoenix, if they get past the Lakers, can do it. And I think out of the East, I agree to that. And I think in the East, I think it's a two-team race. Um, I think it's totally between Philly and the Nets. Yeah, that's been – the East has been like, – I think that's been the prediction of the, that <laughs> the conference finals since uh, quarter way through the season. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm rooting for – I can't believe I'm rooting for a Philly team. But, like, wow, hell really did freeze over. Um, but I just – I love Joel Embiid. You know, to me, he is everything Greg Oden should have been. Um, and he's just so fun to watch. He's so good. You know, and he's a center. And in a league where centers aren't really a thing anymore, you know, he's doing it. And I I don't know. I just, again, Kevin Durant's one of those players. That I just think he's very mentally weak. 
And uh, I'm, I, I, I've been waiting for that powder keg to blow up this year. And to their credit in Brooklyn, it hasn't. You know, and even adding James Harden to it, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, there's, only what, one, there's only one ball. Yeah, that's what uh, – I think that's what everyone thought, too. Um, you said it's a great compare, great saying there. It's the it's a powder keg. Like, one thing can set it off in Brooklyn. Um, but they've done well. Uh, I, think, I think Steve Nash has uh, – obviously, with that talent – doesn't take much to coach it, but it's yeah, uh, the coaches have had talent that were top and talent, couldn't do shit with it. Yeah. Before. And, you know, and Steve Nash is sort of that going back to CP three, um, that point guard that deserved a ring and didn't really get that opportunity. Um those those Suns teams that he was on in the mid two thousands were great but couldn't get over it. So we'll see, uh, see what he can do uh, as a coach. Um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. For sure, dude. Uh, Eric, where are we going to pivot to next, buddy? Um, sort of segueing off that Brooklyn Nets, uh, anybody can manage it type deal. Uh, we're going to go to, uh, to baseball. Uh, a lot has happened. Two more no-hitters, um, both by our teams uh, on back-to-back nights. Uh, Spencer Turnbull uh, no-hit the Mariners, and then the next night, Corey Cooper no-hit the Rangers. Um, yeah, dude. Um, I, I mean, obviously, it was, it's a 10 o'clock game. I'm not watching the Tigers suck, so I'm not really watching it. Wake up the next day and kind of don't and just see the phone, and it's like, Spencer Term, oh shit! Spencer Turnbull threw no hitter. <laughs> like, it kind of feels like everybody gets a no hitter this year. Like yeah. you get one, and you get, and it really hasn't been like, you know, it's not like the top seven pitchers in baseball have all thrown a no hitter this year, right? You know, even Corey Kluber, you know, he was coming into this year with a lot to prove because he had injury concerns. You know, it didn't work in Texas, which I don't blame him because. A lot of players don't work in Texas. Um, but, you know, Spencer Turnbull is a, I would call a good, solid young arm. You know, I would never call him a top of the rotation guy, but. Right. And Kluber was a Cy Young winner um, that is just bouncing back from injury. Yeah, so it's not like these are guys that are at the top of their game, you know, throwing these no-nos. You know, even, okay, so guys, I know we said it on my last podcast, but. Madison Bumgarner threw a no hitter. Yes, and we are at eight no hitters this year. I don't. Yes, know. which is the which is a record or a tie for the record. Tied for the record. Yes. Yeah. So I don't care what baseball says. I'm acknowledging it. Yeah. Um. It's it's a record or tied for the record. And if you know we're getting like, <laughs> yeah, considering there's three full months left in the season, um, you know that record is getting broken. Um, or four months. You got September too. So. Um, and, and it's brought out a lot of a lot of things. I mean, Donnie Baseball, uh, Don Maddenly has spoke about the game. Even him, like he's managing, he goes, sometimes this game is just unwatchable with what's going on, with strikeouts being at an all-time high, velocities being at an all-time high, home runs are at an all-time high. 
So, what's going on? And Kershaw is Clint Kershaw going to the Hall of Fame, and he goes, and he's even said like, I, the no hitters losing, it's it's allure because of what's going on. So he actually came out and said he, baseball was deadening the baseball, which. Yeah, but- we knew they're trying to – baseball's always just trying to experiment something, and they're, they're, okay. raising, the seams on, they're raising the seams on uh, on the ball and all uh, that, but so, I don't know. So, Eric, here's my question, and this is a legitimate question, okay? Baseball's been around for over 100 years, like 140 years, I think. It started in, like, the 1880s, I think. Yes. Um, the inherently the sport of baseball, while it has changed and evolved, at the end of the day, the baseball is still just a baseball. You know, there are going to be nine guys in the field. You're going to have a pitcher throwing the ball, and you're going to have a guy swinging a bat trying to hit it. I don't understand how they can't figure this out. Like, you know, you look at what made the sport so great, and it's been 20 years. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, like, I love baseball. I've gotten back into it this year. You know, I'm really following it. Um, you know, if you want to see an all-star lineup on the injured list, look at the Yankees again. Um, but, like, I don't understand why they can't seem to figure this out. They're screwing with the game so much. You know, forget having, like, a computer called balls and strikes. If you can't figure out what kind of ball is going to produce, you know, a fair, even game, who gives a shit about the umpires? No, I, I agree, and there's talk. Uh, there's talk about a uh, about moving the moving the mound back. Um, I don't know what that's going to do, but all all it's going to do is it's going to. I know for pitcher safety, but also it's only going to cause maybe like one one hundredth of a second reaction time difference. Um, when you look at average average ball speed off bat and average velocity of a fastball, it's not much of a difference if you move back whatever it was, like a half, a, another foot or so. It doesn't, that to me doesn't matter. As you said, they got to figure it out. Um, like, I like the winter meetings. Like, this year's winter meetings shouldn't be for owners only. They should have, like, a, they should call it, like, the baseball summit. And, you know, you get, like, two or three guys, you know, like, maybe, like, uh, voted upon players, you know, top hitter, top pitcher, and maybe a, a, a coach or a manager, and they all need to get together. And they need to go – they need to meet at a baseball field. And they need to figure it the fuck out. Like, pardon my French, everyone, but, like, I'm trying so hard to like baseball, and, and it's becoming harder to watch. Yeah, I mean that they, yeah, this game, and they're still trying to figure out the pace of the game, and there's still games that are are going three, four hours because of the analytics. Which there is time for baseball, but like the shift, I the shift is one thing I never understood. Um, like these guys are. You're on a major league roster. You're one of 25 players, 32 teams, whatever that number comes out to be, in the world 
playing the highest level of the game and you can't figure out your swing to hit it to the 90 foot gap that you have with one defender. That's like in football. If they just said, Hey, you know, you're going to put all of your receivers on one half the field. You know, we're going to put all of our DBs over there with them and a team not being able to say, what if we just put a receiver on the other side? Well, what if we run a drag route <laughs> just to the spot where there's nobody? Yeah, I completely agree. Like, like that's what, and that's part of the game. Like, oh yeah, we're just, I don't know. I mean, so what if there's a, so what if there's a guy that 98% of the time is a dead pole hitter? All right. That just means your first baseman, second baseman or whatever, that whatever side of the field, if he's a, Right-handed bat, your shortstop and third baseman and left fielder, be more aware. Same goes for the second and first baseman. You don't need to move guys because of that. Just play the game the way it's meant to be played. So, Eric, you just said an important thing. You said pull hitter. <laughs> you know what players I respect more than anybody else in baseball? Tony Wynn. Yes. Derek Jeter. Do you know why? Because they weren't pool hitters. They were just hitters. And that's what the sport needs. They need guys that can just hit the fucking ball. Not for power necessarily. I need you to go up and get your ass on base. Yes. And, you know, you assess the field and how it is. They could put, they could put 20 people in right field. I need you to go up and hit the ball to left field. And I don't know. They they need more players that can hit the ball. Yeah. Hit. Not pull hitter, not power hitter, not a contact hitter. I need you to be a hitter. Yeah, just hit just get the ball and play. And it sort of segues into the next part of baseball that we want to talk about that has really brought in a lot of interesting debate to where what the game is at now. And the favorite, every baseball fan's favorite, the unwritten rules. Ugh. Now, recap what happened. It's 15-4 right. in, in Minnesota, White Sox twins. Rookie Yerman Mercedes is up, designated hitter, up 15-4. to four. Minnesota, whether they ran out of pitchers or resting the bullpen, put in a position player. Okay. He throws three balls. It's 3-0. The next pitch is a 47-mile-per-hour pitch. I don't even know what kind of pitch it was. It was a fast ball, but it was just a ball. (laughs) And Yerman Mercedes launched it. 3-0 count, up 15-4, to hits a home run. And the debate is, well, then it came out that Larusa and third base coach told him to take the pitch and he missed the sign or didn't or ignored the sign, whatever it is. He missed the sign and he hit a home run. Well, this is where, and Tony Larusa, a lot of us said it should not have been hired. Um, from what I heard, Larusa wasn't even the GM's choice, he's friends with the owner. And that's how he got the job. 
Now, you and I can, a lot of people can manage the White Sox with the talent they have. Great pitching, great hitting. Um, that's why they were my pick and a lot of others' picks to make it to the World Series this year. But Tony La Russa comes out and rips Yerman Mercedes. Um, says there'll be consequences. The next day, a Twins pitcher throws behind him, gets tossed, got suspended three games, and Tony La Russa defended that act. Pissing more people off that were already pissed off. Yeah. Um, and really quick to you, a background on Mercedes, it's not like this was a top-level prospect. This guy's 28 and getting in the majors for the first time in his career. Yeah, he's been kind of a he's come out of minor, minor like a like a career minor leaguer. Like he's always been a good player, but they just never really thought enough of him to bring him up. Um, and he finally kind of put it all together, and it's his shot. And he destroyed the baseball in April. His first full, his first freaking month, and he hit four fifteen. Yes. In his first month. And then he had a, a hitting streak and he's still hitting, I think, like 385 or something ridiculous right and now. I mean, there's some guys that are late bloomers. Um, one of the more consistent players in all of baseball, um, actually from kind of your area, uh, you're in my area now, um, advanced North Carolina area, uh, Davie County, it's uh, Whit Merrifield. Yeah. Kansas City. He's uh, yep. He was a little late in developing, but he's been an all-star. He's one of the best contact hitters I feel in the game. And But to the point of Ira Mercedes here and Tony La Russa, it's the game's passed La Russa by, I feel. And a lot of people feel that way. But also, I feel La Russa knows better. Handle that behind closed doors. You just, you just talk to the media and be like, hey, if, that brought, if that question brought up, it's like, how do you feel about Mercedes swinging at 3-0? It's like, we're going to deal with it privately. We'll talk about it and move on. That's My bigger it. issue is the next game. And then the next, and that, exactly. Oh. So, so I was already like, literally, why would you say that? I mean, just handle it behind closed doors. And he basically threw his player under the bus for defending a pitcher throwing behind him. He He's lost that club now. Let's and, be very clear. And I like, sent that, yeah, and I sent that thing from The Athletic. Um, Tim Anderson uh, said, what the exact quote? Let me find it. Yeah, he... Continue. It was uh, yeah. something like Tim Anderson said, we're the we're the bad kids. Yeah. It's like, we're like the bad kids that don't listen, but we all get along. And to me, that means you said they lost, Lewis has lost the clubhouse. I think it's the players just going, we can, we'll just play the game. Like, fuck this guy. Like he doesn't make me hit the ball any better. You know, like he doesn't. Ah, yeah, man. I think. Okay. So, we should also qualify some of this. You and I are both what we would, I think, identify as baseball purist. You know, yes, but I'm also I agree with that. We are purists, but in the sense, but <laughs> in the sense of the whole, as I touched on the shift and all the analytics, I think it has gone too far. Um, but that's another story. 
but what but I'm all for making the game better in terms of having fun. Like if you're you remember Mercedes, he said he's a 28 year old rookie, finally getting his shot. That home run might be the difference of twenty of twenty nine and thirty home runs in a year. We don't know his contract. What if he had a clause that said, "Hey, I've got if I hit okay twenty five home runs, I get an extra eight hundred thousand, or it activates a player option, right, or like, something." There's incentives and contracts that we don't know. We all, as fans, and as fans, we just see mostly the money, unless it's a veteran that has a one year league minimum, but they get extra money if they make the playoffs, if whatever it is. Here's another thing for me, Eric, and this is, I think, more than anything else, and it applies to every sport. You know, if you don't like what the opposing player or team is doing to you, you know, if they're running up a score on you, you've got two options. You can cry about it, or you can go out and freaking stop them, you know? And I've never understood that, well, we should take the foot off the gas. I'm sorry. F you. Bel- Bel- you know, Belichick um, has been – Belichick said it. Belichick said it, too. I mean, there's been times you're watching those old New England teams. I say old New England teams with Brady. Kind of weird to still say that, but when – they were just you don't date us. They Jesus. were airing they were airing the ball out up twenty-eight. And Belichick goes, if the other team thinks they have a chance, we're gonna keep scoring. Yeah. Screw it. And That's uh, Jimmy Johnson. You wanna go earlier than that? You wanna go, you wanna date us now? Jimmy Johnson with the Cowboys. Yep. You know, you don't like it? Well, guess what? Stop me. You know. Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. The game, it's an athletic competition. If I've beaten you to the point that you quit and submit, then forfeit. Walk your ass out there. Tell the umpire or the ref, you know what? We're not going to win this game. We forfeit. Right. And baseball is a, a crazy sport. Like, I've seen eight inning comebacks in the ninth inning before. <laughs> like, I've seen stuff like that happen. Yeah, so instead of being mad at a guy for hitting, you know, forget the fact that you're putting the fact that you're putting in position player. And that's I understand. I understand the strategy behind it, but at the same time, like, if by doing that, you have to understand, just because you're doing that doesn't mean the teams gonna be like, well, okay, they're taking it easy on us, you know, like, (laughs) no, if whoever's on that damn mound, if they're throwing a pitch at me, I'm gonna hit it. I'm sorry, I. You know, I'm so anti-unwritten rule when it comes to shit like that. And, yeah, yeah. you're going to throw a pitch at me while I have a bat in my hand and I'm at at the plate. 3-0, 2-0, doesn't matter. If the ball's coming towards the plate, I'm going to hit the son of a bitch. Yep. And if you don't like it, stop me. Don't throw at me, which I really can't stand. You know, I'm so glad they've, like, instituted a lot of those penalties and stuff where it's like – you know, you can't just go out and throw at a guy. But then I just, yeah, to have your own, your own manager, your own manager, you know, that would it, apply that in real life. You know, if, you know, you go out and do something really well, you know, Eric, you are in recruiting. Let's say you go out and get a huge recruit. And your manager afterwards says, well, 
you know, he shouldn't have done that or, oh, that person costs too much. And it's like, yeah, but like, look, like this is going to add all this to the company. And they completely throw you under the bus to their people above them. Like, I just, I don't get it. Yeah, and that's why it's it's refreshing to me to see a pitcher like Trevor Bauer, um, who who said, you know what, if you tech, if you launch my best pitch, flip your bat. You earned it. Like, yeah, like, it's sort of like the Major League Two thing. If you get a piece of it, you can rename it. Type deal, like. Just to let the game let the game have fun. Like, yeah, there's been times where pitchers have when I mean, there's frustration and pitchers will throw at throw at players, but that's the stuff that needs to get out of the game. And kind of going back ten years ago, uh, one of the best pitcher duels for a while in a game was Verlander and Jared Weaver, and Verlander was throwing a no hitter. Weaver was mad at Maglio Ordonez for standing at the plate watching a ball go foul. He was just making sure it wasn't. He wasn't going to run if it wasn't fair. Weaver took exception to that. Guillen homered, did a Sammy Sosa hop, stared him down. And the next pitch, Alex Avila got a 95-mile-per-hour fastball over his head. (laughs) Um, That's the type of stuff that needs to get out of the game. And you know what else needs to get out of the game? On both parts. On both parts. Like if Tony La Russa needs to get out of the game. Like, yeah, I agree, was, man. Like, don't get me wrong. The the old manager managing young guys thing can work. You know, you've seen it with Jack McKeon in Florida. Jim Leland. Jim Leland. You know, you've and seen. It, and it got to the point with Jim Leland that the game was passing him by. And that's why he retired. Yeah. Joe Madden. That's another example, you know, of an old guy that could lead a young team to a bunch of success, but, you know, Joe Torrey stepped away when he felt like that was going to happen. You know, he stepped away when he was like, okay, it's getting to the point now where I don't align with some of these players. You know, my philosophy doesn't fit what they are. So rather than trying to force a square peg into the round hole, I'm going to step away and go do something else that I do fit in. And Tony LaRusso, man, he... You know, he, I liked him as an analyst. I thought he was a really smart analyst. I, I can't really have anything on him as a, a, a person. I always thought he was a good manager, you know. I mean, those Cardinal teams he managed were awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's, but, in, he's in Cooperstown. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame manager, but it's just the game's passed him by. It's time. I mean, he needs – I think after this year, just do it. Just He may not even make it through the season, dude. Yeah. It'll be interesting if the what if the White Sox are smart, you know it, they have a World Series team. You picked them to, I think, go to the World Series. I think I picked them to go to the ALCS. I have the morning like, game. and I I love that roster. Absolutely love that. I love Tim Anderson. I love Yuana Cespedes. Well, not Cespedes. Um, Yuan Mercada. Yuan Mercada. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love Carlos Rondon as a pitcher. I love that team. And man, please, I employ everybody in Chicago. Like, don't let, you know, you've got these young guys that are in their prime or getting ready to be in their prime. And you get a guy like Tony Russa that gives his middle finger to that roster. It's not going to work. No. 
No, it's not. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's the big baseball news going on. No hitters, Larusa, dinosaur game passing by, unwritten rules. It's it's that. But couple couple NFL things also past couple weeks schedule release. We have seventeen games now, but no extra bye week. I don't think, which is interesting. Um, nope. Rookie mini camps. Uh, the draft picks can see what see what the draft picks have. Um, I know it's not much, but we got that. And uh, just yesterday, Julio says he wants to play with Cam. Which is funny because I don't know if Cam is going to be the starting quarterback on that team. Exactly. That's like <laughs> <laughs> you can play with him maybe in practice, but it would give you know. The, the, something they hadn't really had. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, last year, Kevin Newton was bad. But in his defense, he had nothing to throw to. And, like, Cam was never... And Keel Harry's a bust, I think. Oh, yeah. He's bust at us, you know. And Julian Edelman was clearly at the end of his career because he retired. You know, they have no tight ends. You know, like, Cam Newton's a quarterback that he can't, uh, he can't make plays for himself anymore. I don't think his legs are what they were five years ago. And so now he's going to rely more on his arm, but he needs guys to go up and make plays. And Julio Jones is – Julio's had some health issues now. So let's not give Julio a total pass. He hasn't really had a fully healthy season in like a year or two. Yeah. But, damn, I would take Julio Jones for 10 games over anybody they had on their roster for 16 last year. Yes. And they have Hunter Henry now at tight end. Johnu Smith. Yeah. So there's some weapons, uh, but adding Julio, I think, would really open up that offense a little more. They signed Nelson Aguilar, who turned his career around this year too. Yeah, um, yeah I, I hate to see it, but he's got a better shot at winning the Super Bowl with New England than he does with, you know, what will probably be his third or fourth rebuild with the Falcons. Yes. So. Yep. <laughs> That was sort of the big one that just came out yesterday. Um, rookie minicamp. Uh, obviously, uh, Sewell couldn't attend for the Lions because he got yeah, he got the Rona. All good, though. He signed, but we couldn't really see what he's got. But the young defensive tackles, they're ready to fuck shit up, it sounds like, in Detroit. And that is great to hear. Um, I'm excited for that. Games are won in the trenches. I'm not expecting much because I'm a Lions fan. But as long as we're competitive and the Lions, the offensive defensive lines fuck shit up, I'm happy. I wouldn't expect much because Jared Goff's your quarterback. And I, I believe about as little in Jared Goff as I do many people. I don't think he's a very good quarterback at all. You know, I, the, the best case for the Lions is that they can kind of be competitive and be like, you know, good enough field, but maybe miss a bunch of close games where they could justify drafting a quarterback. Cause there's a couple of good ones coming out next year. Um, you know, Spencer Rattler's very good. He's got, got some kind of character issues, but you've got Sam Howell at a UNC. They're kind of like the consensus one, two. Um, but dude, I, I'm sorry. I like the Lions roster. You know, their receiving core is garbage. Oh, our receiving core is I don't like, like, you know, 
Like, you've got TJ Hawkinson to throw to you, and your next best receiving option is probably DeAndre Swift. Um, <laughs> you know, you got a good running back. You got a good running backs. Or St. Brown, no. St. Brown's very good, yeah. I also like Quintez Cephas. I think he – If he can – yeah, I mean, obviously the incident, the incident in when he was at Wisconsin caused his draft to fall, but he's got, I don't know, if true number one potential, but definitely a solid number two receiver. Oh, yeah. He but he I could be by, very good. I think by lack of receiver, he is our number one this year. Yeah, I don't – I mean, are you, are you really planning on Tyrell Williams to do anything? Like, <laughs> Tyrell Williams hasn't been good in, like, yeah. four years. Yeah. So. Uh, but, yeah, that's the Detroit uh, rookie minicamp update. Um, they look pretty good from what I read. Um, just – Detroit's just – talking a lot of talk right now and it's refreshing but come uh three and a half months from now when the season starts we'll see see so you know what my favorite part about rookie man camps are are you get these these kids and you know yes they were stars you know and their colleges and stuff like that but they've never really had to do like a full press conference and to see these kids like in front of like professional media at a professional conference, you know, you get a guy like um, I, I'm just thinking of Dallas, their fifth round pick receiver out of Stanford, Simi Fioco, and he just looks so not ready for like a, like a media scrum. You think they'd give him like a tutorial and like how to like handle the media or like do like a mock one and. Yeah, I love that about minicamps. My 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 so the biggest story for me is offensive guard out of Denver, Quinn Miners. Did you see his stomach? Yes. That is the most impressive belly I've ever seen on a man. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch. Um, like I said, uh, rookie minicamp are done. Um, OTAs are coming up next. Uh, which should be fun to watch. And then, uh, you know what the NFL has mastered, Eric? They've made it a year round sport now. Yes, they have. They have taken a sport they're, that lasts. They're, they're only two yeah. weeks off are like after the Super Bowl to the combine. Yeah. And yeah. if you include the, the Pro Bowl week, which nobody really pays nobody attention to, the, nobody cares about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> yeah, literally no one. Um, but yeah, like it's crazy to think about now how, like, you know, even like you know, you've got now you still got like hot stories now. You know, where's Julio gonna go? Where the hell is that stupid Aaron Rodgers soccer gonna go? You know, so now we're like a month out from OTAs and two months out from mini camps, and people are talking about the NFL like the Super Bowl was yesterday. Yep. And it, I gave I don't give the NFL credit. I can't stand Roger Goodell. You know, he's every bit of the Darth Vader that he should be. But he's um, done a great job with it. Yeah. Like, he really – somebody from baseball needs to call Roger Goodell and be like, hey, you know, like, can you help us out a little bit? Nobody's talking about baseball. You know, we're, we're, we're juicing our damn we're, – we're killing our balls so we can get no hitters every freaking day, and nobody gives a shit. Can you help me out, you know? And meanwhile, the NFL is like, yeah, we've got some kids that were seventh-round draft picks out of fucking Division three schools – and they're getting full press conferences and people paying more attention to that than they are no hitters in baseball. Just yeah. a wild, wild world. Yeah. 
and with the with the schedule, um, 17 games, uh, again, a little surprised there's no bye week or another bye week. Um, little interesting effect that the NFL did not realize. Um, it impacts fantasy football, which I don't really do anymore. Um, but there's that. But what are uh, – and what – why do you get the Thursday night game, the opening season game against Tampa? Dallas, Tampa. I, uh, that's a horrible matchup to watch. I have no idea. I do not want to watch Tom Brady completely shit he's, on he's our secondary. Oh my god! It's like, I, yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh my god, why are we starting the year zero and one? Like that. Who? I don't care about a seventeen game season because we're going to be zero and one starting a sixteen game season this year. Like, oh god! And I get Tom Brady being there. Yeah. Oh, again. Defending defending champions should always have that opening night game. But could, well, okay. So here's part of the reason why. So you look at the NFC now. You know they're trying to put the schedule together. The logical matchup is to put Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers again. Is if they don't know where the hell Aaron Rodgers is going to be now. Right. So you can't do that matchup. So they say, okay, maybe New Orleans. Well, do you really want to watch Tom Brady versus fucking Jameis Winston? Winston? No. N- no. You know, Washington, maybe Washington would have been a good matchup. Tom Brady versus, you know, because they almost, Washington almost beat Tampa. Yep. They gave them a hell of a game. I would have rather seen Washington, not because I want to see Washington lose, but just from a pure, like, opening night in football. You know, Chase Young, that defense got, that team got better. Washington scares the shit out of me. Or or making San Francisco unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, who's the quarterback? Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, their defense is – their team is hopefully healthy again. Um, you know, there's so many options you can do, you know. Uh, Carolina with Sam Darnold, you know, they could be intriguing. Like, there's so many other good matchups you could yeah. look at. And then – They put Dallas in there. And I was like, oh, okay. okay. Monday night games. Oh, my God. Some of the Monday night games this year – like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you get Baltimore Raiders week one. Ugh. I mean, that's that's a, that's kind of interesting. Um, John Gruden, that's like the biggest star in that. But John week two, I mean, I saw it come out. Detroit at Green Bay. You're putting Lions Packers at Lambeau again. Based on what happened the last Monday night game in Green Bay, are you serious? You, you're the NFL. Are you seriously want to deal with that shit again? Especially if likely Aaron Rodgers is there. If like, well, if Rodgers is there, I'm already banking. This is just the pessimist Lions fan in me. I'm banking on some crazy fucking officiating rule or some crazy miscall that is so blatant that fucks Detroit on national TV again. I was going to say, at least it'll be on national TV so more people will see it. More people saw it the, in 2019 and nothing was done about it. Well, maybe if Rodgers isn't there, maybe the NFL won't have to slobber the Green Bay Packers knob so much. That could so, be too. Because if he's not there, that goes from a really like, you know... Green Bay Green Bay's going to lose. If Rodgers isn't their quarterback, Green Bay loses. Green Bay's a below 500 team. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, even if Jordan, even if Jordan loves good, 
Like he, he's not going to elevate that roster like Aaron Rodgers did. They weren't a very good roster last year. You know, I mean, they do have Aaron Jones back. They still have Devonta Adams at receiver. You know, but how good, offense, how good are they going to be if Rodgers isn't to play? Yeah, it. We haven't we haven't really seen it, but the small sample size when Rodgers broke his collarbone when he was out a few years ago. They're not the same team. They are they play below five hundred ball without him. He's and I look, I hate the guy. I hate Green Bay. He is the Packers. He's without him, that team is irrelevant. Maybe. Maybe. It's the Packers. I don't know. I they have seemed to find a way. You know, I thought for sure when Brett Favre left, that team was going to finally start to suck. So was I. And they didn't. And now it's <laughs> now Aaron Rodgers is on his way out one way or another. And now it went from I'm no longer optimistic about it. Now I'm just like, watch. Like, Jordan Love will be the next Pat Mahomes. <laughs> you know, like, I just, like, why not? You know, because, I mean, they don't really affect us in Dallas a whole lot. You know, I wish they'd have Mike. I wish they'd take Mike McCarthy back. Um, but, you know, like, I've never really just cared for him just because, you know, they're an NFC opposing team. I don't have that rivalry built up like you do. But, yeah, they're just one of those teams, man. Like, I would rather see Minnesota take that division this year than I would see fucking Green Bay with or without Aaron Rodgers. Like, yeah, if Rodgers if Rogers isn't in Green Bay this year, obviously we have the June – the June deadline coming up. Um, but if he's not in Green Bay, that quarterback division, I don't know who the best quarterback is. It's probably Cousins, but by default. <laughs> unless <laughs> Justin unless Justin Fields is special. Right. You know. Like that division it, just like it just drops. Jared Goff would go – he wouldn't be the worst quarterback in that division all of a sudden. So, hey, there's that. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, that's the, that's the review, the two-week review. Uh, thank you for joining us in uh, this week in sports review. As always, I'm Eric Weirdo with Jordan Angie, and uh, join us next week. Bye, guys. Thank you.